I'm so often encouraged uh, by how God aligns the messages that he lays on my heart with the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I hope that today's message will especially be encouraging to you. I know it has been this week for me, given what we have gone through this past week. Also, um, the 2021 college football season kicked off this week, and I know that many of us were in front of our TVs this weekend watching our our favorite teams kick off their season and uh, having high hopes for what um, this season might hold for our favorite teams, uh, Go Dogs. And there is also a, a lot of fear in every fan when it comes to college football, especially in that 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 first game of the season. I know I was experiencing it last night watching Georgia play Clemson. Um, there's, there's a lot of high hopes and anticipation. Everybody thinks, okay, maybe this is going to be the year. And then, um, but there's also this fear in the back of every person's mind. And if you're, if you're a Georgia fan specifically, I think you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. There's the fear of self-destruction. <laughs> if you're a football fan and you're watching and, and everything seems to be going good and you're hopeful, but there's always this fear that some fundamental mistake, some uh, bad break uh, for your team, some, some controllable thing, a penalty, um, uh, somebody losing their temper, something like that is going gonna, is gonna to cause everything to begin to unravel. And we know that that can happen really quickly. And sometimes it's things that, that can be controlled, but sometimes there are things that happen in a game that, that can't be controlled. They, they can't be helped. They just happen. And injuries and things like that. And um, y- you begin to see things just fall apart around you. And um, it's, it's frustrating as a football fan, isn't it? To be watching your team, having so much hope, for what's going to happen and then to to watch things begin to crumble and fall apart and you have no ability to be able to do anything about it. Um, I want you to think about that that feeling and that fear maybe on that level as a football fan. Um, as we look in Romans chapter 8 this morning, um, I want you to, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and find Romans 8 and telling you a little bit about this part of the book of Romans, uh, Paul likely wrote this letter to the Christians in Rome um, during his third missionary journey while he was uh, visiting Corinth. And in chapter 8, Paul is talking about the life we live in the Holy Spirit. And he's contrasting the people who live their life by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, versus those who live in the flesh. And and he's encouraging the believers there in Rome that, that we're no longer uh, bound to live by the flesh because we've been delivered from it. We are now empowered to live in the Spirit, by the Spirit. Um, and so in chapter 8 as well, he talks about suffering. And he talks about the role that suffering plays in the life of a believer. Um, And as much as we probably don't want this to be the case, suffering is a part of our life as believers. And it's 
part of our identity. And part of the identification that we have with Christ is the identification in suffering. And so suffering is a key part of the Christian life, even though we do everything we can to try to, um, to try to push it away or to try to save ourselves from it sometimes. Um, but I want to share with you uh, first in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 8. And this is what it says. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. So there's our identity. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So that last phrase is really important. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And so there we see that that, that glorified eternity that we've been talking about through this series is directly tied to the suffering that we experience in this life. And um, suffering is a part of our identity, as I've already said. And people probably say, well, to God, and, and, and sometimes we even say to God, God, why are you allowing this suffering in my life? Why are you uh, allowing these things to happen? And I think if Paul were to hear us say that, and we were to ask Paul, Paul, why is, why is God allowing this suffering in my life? Paul's response would be, so we can see his glory. He's allowing suffering in your life because that identifies you with Jesus and that's part of how you will experience his coming glory. Um, and so the connection, there's a connection between experiencing suffering in this life and experiencing the glory of God in this life and then the life to come in our eternal life. So our main text this morning is going to be starting in verse 18. And Paul is going to help us see that connection between our suffering now and the future glory that's to come. Because they are, they're so connected to each other. Um, I neglected to, to go through my kids' closets this morning. Um, to try to find what I was looking for. But I don't know how many of you have ever played with Lego. I love Lego. I love uh, putting the sets together. When my kids were younger, they were really into it. We have boxes and boxes of Lego in our um, in our uh, playroom and in our basement down here. Um, but there's a certain piece that um, sometimes when you're building a Lego set, especially if it's a big one, like if you're doing like a Star Wars ship or something like that, sometimes what you will do is put together one part of the ship. And then the directions will have you leave that and go over and start all over and start building another part of the set where you're literally building two different pieces separately. But then there are certain pieces that are made to connect those two larger pieces together. And um, there's one particular piece that I'm thinking of that is just like a little small cylinder-shaped type piece um, that's made to snap into bricks that have holes in them. So if you've got a one piece that you've built that's got one of those whole 
bricks in it. And then another piece that's got that, you can put that little cylinder shaped, almost like a pin um, type piece into one side and take it and link those two pieces together. Even though they're, they're separated and you build them separately, you can put them together. And I want you to see suffering in eternity, the glory of eternity, kind of like that. That they're both connected together. And here's, here's what I want you to see. Here's the point I want you to remember. The peace that links together our present suffering and God's future glory is hope. If we could if we could give that little Lego piece that links those two big pieces together a different identity, and we could call that hope. And that hope comes in a personal relationship with Jesus. And so it's not the kind of, it's not just hope in anything, but it's hope in Christ that comes through a personal relationship with him as our Lord and Savior. And so remember that. Hope is that piece that links those two things together. Um, but let's look um, at Romans chapter 8, verse 18 this morning, and we'll, and we'll start going through. This is going to be our main text today. For I consider, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So here's, here's the first big thing he says in this text. And if you're a note taker, here's, here's what you want to write down. Eternal glory outweighs earthly suffering. The glory that we will see and that we will experience in eternity greatly outweighs the suffering that we are going through now. Um, there's lots of things in, in this verse, and I love the language in, in verse 18. When, when Paul says, for I consider, um, that's, not a, a, that's not an idea. That's not him saying, well, I'm pretty sure, or this is what I think. This is the idea I have. Um, that language those, that in, in Greek, it, it states a, a conclusion that's been based on, on research. It's, a, it, it, it's also tied to uh, mathematics. It's the kind of language um, that communicates a conclusion that's been that's been found on a mathematical level. It's literally this is what Paul I feel like is saying when he says I consider this is I've done the math. That's almost what the the language implies. I've done the math, and there is absolutely no doubt. And the thing that he doesn't doubt is that the suffering that we go through here doesn't even compare to the glory that we will see later. But when Paul talks about sufferings in verse 18, we need to know that specifically he's talking about suffering that happens in our life for the sake of Christ. And not just any kind of suffering. Like when I read that, I can't just think, oh, that ingrown toenail I have is the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about or even even the sickness that, that I'm going through right now, that's not really what he's talking about because we have to consider the audience who he's writing to. He's writing to Christians in Rome. He's writing to believers who are living in the heart of the Roman Empire. And they're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing hardship because of their faith. And so when he talks about the sufferings 
that don't compare to the glory to come. He's talking about the suffering that we experience in our life for the sake of Christ. And as Christ suffered in his obedience to the Father, we should also expect to suffer in our obedience to Jesus. Suffering in the Bible is constantly tied to obedience. And that's what frustrates me so much about prosperity theology is that prosperity theology would have you to think that obedience is tied to an absence of suffering. That the more obedient to God you are, the less you will suffer in your life and the more you will experience prosperity and have what you want. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Paul, that's not what Jesus even taught. Obedience and suffering are so closely tied together. And we have to understand that. We have to embrace that as believers. But the hope that we have in the glory that's to come makes a couple of things true about the suffering that we experience now. One is that suffering will come to an end. And two, there's a purpose for it. There's a purpose for suffering when we're a believer because that suffering is, is drawing us closer to Christ. It's identifying us with Jesus and it's, it's making us more into the image of Christ. Suffering for the non-believer is just suffering. And, and it's a suffering that without the hope, that peace that links eternity and suffering together, without that hope that links those two together, suffering doesn't come to an end for the non-believer. It's eternal suffering. But hope makes suffering like a two-sided coin for believers. If you, if you think about suffering as a, a two-sided coin for us as believers, for the ones who have a relationship with Jesus, it's always going to be two-sided. Any suffering that we go through, um, our suffering is earthly, but the glory that we have coming is eternal. Suffering is short, but glory is forever. We suffer in the perishable, but our glory is in the imperishable. And so that's sort of the idea too, that the idea of the perishable and the imperishable, that that's temporary and dies and fades away versus that that lasts forever. That's kind of what Paul moves into next as he goes into verses 19 through 22. So look at that with me. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. So here's the second thing that Paul says that I want you to remember. His eternal glory will restore his broken creation. God's eternal glory will restore God's broken creation. You see, when we, when we read about the fall in Genesis, <clears throat> not only was mankind and our relationship with God broken when sin came into the world, but the natural creation 
was broken. The, the, the world was broken. Um, Paul is specifically talking about here the impersonal creation of God that was cursed along with man in the fall. It's not just that mankind was cursed, but the earth, the creation was cursed along with it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 17, God said, told Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. The natural law of entropy is because of the curse of sin. And we know that entropy is that scientific principle that everything is in a constant state of decay um, that, that can't be stopped. Like things don't gradually on their own get better and stronger. They gradually decay and fall apart on their own. And that's because that natural principle is at work on the earth because of sin. We also see the, the curse that's on the planet through uh, things like natural disasters. We've just endured Hurricane Ida. Um, we've, we've seen devastation that comes. We see tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, things, things like this that, that happen, that bring destruction. And we say, why do those things happen? Those things happen because the planet, not just our lives as humans, but the planet has been cursed by sin. It's the decline of nature. And so Paul says in these verses in Romans that the creation eagerly awaits and it waits with anticipation. <coughs> Excuse me. The creation waits with anticipation to be set free from the curse of sin along with the sons of God. We have been cursed by the curse of sin, but the planet has it as well. And Paul sort of personifies the creation and says, creation is longing and waiting to be freed from the curse, just like we are as people. Um, and that phrase is really interesting, eagerly waits with anticipation. And you say, well, how, do, how does the world, how does creation wait for the coming of Jesus, for the restoration of all things? When I read that and study the language, I think about being a kid. Um, think about if, if you've ever been to Disney World, especially if you were a little kid. But think about a kid in line at Disney World waiting to see Mickey Mouse for the very first time. And if you've ever gone to see Mickey, you know that, that you, you go through a queue of a, a line. You don't, you don't get to see Mickey until you're almost right there at him, until you're almost next in line to get to see him. But with every turn, every, every little part of the queue that you go through, you think about the anticipation of a little kid who's, who's getting to see Mickey for the first time, and they're constantly looking, constantly trying to peek through the legs and around the adults that are in front of them to try to see if they can get a glimpse. That's eager anticipation, waiting eagerly with anticipation. That's, that's kind of the idea that I think of, that creation is, is longing to be freed from the curse of sin. And what we notice is, is that our destiny as sons and daughters of God is directly tied to the destiny of creation. As we will be restored, as we will be redeemed from the curse of sin, so will the whole planet. Um, our freedom will also be 
the freedom of creation. Um, Isaiah, in Isaiah 65, verse 17, it says, For I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. So that's in Isaiah. That's not... God also, Jesus says that. God says that in the book of Revelation. But it's also back, the prophet Isaiah said that there would be a new heaven and a new earth. And so we wait while we, while creation waits for redemption and while we wait for our redemption, God shows his grace though in the midst of that brokenness, doesn't he? If we're not careful, we could just think that, oh man, the world is just falling apart. And in in many ways it is. But yet still in the midst of the brokenness of the planet, we can still see the glory and the goodness of God. We think about uh, a field or a meadow full of wildflowers, uh, a landscape of mountains, a, a clear star-filled night sky. Um, the the sunrise coming up over the ocean on the beach, like things like that. We can still see the glory of God in the creation. And so there's this glimpse when we see the world, even though it's broken and it's in the state of decay in the curse of sin, we can still see glimpses of his glory in it. We can still see glimpses of, of what creation was intended to be and what it was before the curse of sin came into the world. And so that's part of our hope as well. Look at at Romans chapter 1, back in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. And so here in verse 20, Paul is talking about what we call general revelation, that that God has revealed himself even if no one has ever heard the Bible, no one's ever read the Bible, nobody's ever heard the gospel. There's a revealing that God has done through nature, through creation. And there are attributes of his glory and there are glimpses of that future glory that we're waiting on in the world that we live in. And God's put in the heart of every person as his creation, the ability to see the creation around us and know that it came from somewhere and it came from someone. And so Paul says that that creation is groaning together. And he says groaning together with labor pains. He says that um, in verse 22, I think it is. Um, Yeah, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And it's interesting he uses that analogy of labor pains. Labor pains are a sign of coming life, not a sign of death. Even though there is great pain that a mother endures through labor, mothers endure that pain because they know the result of that pain will be new life. And so in a similar way, creation groans in pain, waiting for that new life that is coming when God restores all of creation and all of his sons and daughters. 
So let's look um, now at verses 23 through 25. Let's keep going. Not only that, he's talked about creation. So now he talks about us. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. If the inanimate creation longs for redemption, how much more do we as God's people long for that day? Um, so here's, here's the last point that I want you to remember that we will talk through this morning. There is pain and joy as we wait for our redemption. That's crazy that, that Garrett led us in hills and valleys because there's literally a lyric in the song that says every joy and every pain through all you will remain over it all like that that's exactly what this point is that as we wait for that redemption to come just like creation is waiting to be restored and longing for it we as God's children are longing and waiting for that restoration and we do it with pain and we do it with joy both simultaneously. They both live together. Um, our anticipation is painful as we live in bondage, in the bondage of sin, and we live in that bondage right now, and we see, we see the effects of the curse of sin on our human, in our humanness, like on a physical level. We think about, this is, this is where we think about sickness and disease and the decline of our physical abilities, the, the fact that we that we get sick. COVID-19 is a sign of the curse that we are painfully enduring while we wait on the redemption that God has promised. We see it in, in the diseases that we fight and the fact that as we get older, entropy has its effect on our own bodies too. Um, all of us at some point, most of us anyway, if we're over a certain age, we are beginning to experience the reality of knowing that our bodies can't do what we used to be able to do. And the older we get, the more we experience that. And the more we experience that, the more painful it is. Because sometimes our bodies will eventually limit us and, and cause us to not be able to do what we love to do. And maybe our bodies aren't uh, then to a point we think about our saints who are in nursing homes who physically are not even able to get out of the bed to be with their loved ones, to be with the people that they love. And so we live in pain. We, we can see the pain of the curse as we wait. And we live in it. The, but the pain that Paul, I think, is talking about also is not just the, the physical pain of our, our bodies, but um, the pain of sin in our life. And how it affects the people around us. The fact that we live in the curse of sin. And we see the effects of sin in our life. And we, we see how it affects us. The destruction that it can bring in our life. And the destruction that it can bring in the lives of other people. 
Look at Romans chapter 7. Let's back up a chapter and look at these verses. Paul expresses this pain in humanness. He says in verse 22, For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. This is what Paul is talking about here. He says, even though our, our souls, our spirits are fully redeemed, Scripture is clear that because we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need for um for faith and a life of righteousness. But we have everything we need in our spirit, but we, we fight against our bodies. We fight against our flesh, and we're, we're sort of trapped here. And he says, even though my mind and my heart desires perfect obedience, I'm, I'm incapable of doing it because of the curse of sin in my body, the parts of my body, the, the physical nature of my life keeps me from being able to live in perfect obedience to God. And so we wait. It's like, it's like our spirits are trapped in our bodies. But he says, um, Paul, in, in chapter 8 that we've just read, he says that we who have the Holy Spirit as first fruits, the source of our falling into sin as believers is the flesh, not the spirit, because the spirits have made us new creations. What does scripture say? That if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Therefore, all, all the old is gone and, and the new has come. It's talking about our spirit. So our spirits are recreated in Christ. What, what will eventually happen physically in our bodies has already happened in our spirit. But our full redemption, body and spirit, hasn't come yet. And so now we live in this angst of, of a renewed spirit in a sin-cursed body. And Paul expresses that. But he says one day, and the promise that we have is that one day these bodies will be fully restored into a glorified state like the body of Jesus without the curse of sin. I think of it this way. It's, it's like a seed that we plant in the ground. The seed doesn't bear any resemblance to what it will become until it dies. Like I can hold a seed to any kind of a plant or a tree in my hand and it doesn't resemble, it doesn't even look like the fruit or the tree that will come from it until it dies, until it goes away. And the life inside of it breaks out of the shell that it's in and begins to grow. And the life that we will experience in eternity, we, we won't be able to see and experience until this old body, this sin-cursed body dies. And it's fully restored and the full life that is in us is able to, to come out and shed that shell 
of a sinful body and we're able to experience the full glory of being the sons and daughters of God. So the redemption that the earth waits for, it's the same redemption that we wait for. To be freed from these bodies of sin. To experience the glory of God. Paul says we can't see it, so it's our hope. And our hope, remember, is that peace that connects our suffering now to the glory that's coming. Remember, it's like that Lego piece that puts those two parts together. That's our hope. So we don't have to be victims of the brokenness. We live in a sin-cursed world. We live in sin-cursed bodies. And we experience the brokenness everywhere, every day. Sometimes to greater degrees, but it's always there. But the hope that we have causes us to not fall apart with the rest of the world. It causes us to, to live and endure through that brokenness because we know that it's not forever. We know that it's temporary. And we know that there's a purpose in living through the brokenness because it's constantly making us into the image of Jesus. So I hope, I hope that makes sense this morning. It's so, again, it's sometimes frustrating communicating through um, a camera to you guys to really see if what I'm saying is making a connection, but I pray and hope that it is. Um, and maybe we can wrap it up this way. Remember at the beginning we were talking about college football and, uh, and, and you think about watching your team play and you, you think about what uh, crazy um, tragedy could happen in the midst of a game, uh, a goal line fumble. Uh, an interception uh, at the at the worst possible place, at the worst possible field position. Um, that kick, that field goal kick that you need to win the game, but it bounces off the uprights in the wrong direction. Like all of those things that we think that are, it could be just the most tragic things. Let me ask you this. What if you already knew the outcome of the end of the game and you were seeing those things take place? What if... What if you were watching a game that your team already won, but you were watching a replay of it? Do you experience those frustrations and those mistakes in the game the same after you already know the outcome? Of course you don't. If I'm watching a replay of the national championship that Georgia lost, but if Georgia had won, and I'm watching that replay, all of the mistakes, all of the things that happened that went against us, I'm not going to worry about because I know the ending. If you're watching the replay, you don't freak out when something goes wrong because you know what the end of the game, you know the results at the end. And I want you to think about life that way. That's, that's how we as Christians can live. We know what the result's going to be. God has promised it. We know we are already seeing and he's letting us see glimpses of the glory that, that we're going to have at the end, the glory that he's promised, the glory that he's built. And so as we live through the brokenness of our lives, as we live through the sickness and the disease and the curse of sin, 
And as we live in this physical world that's that's broken and decaying, we don't have to we don't have to worry. We can experience those things differently because we have hope. And Christ has promised an end to all the pain. It's what the earth longs for and it's what we long for. It's complete and total redemption. We can't see it, but as we've already learned through faith, the hope is as sure as the reality. The fact that we have the promise and that we have the hope because of our faith is just as good as the reality.